You know, one thing, it doesn't get talked about a lot. And not a lot of people are necessarily familiar with it. I just happened through life experience to be, you know, intimately familiar with it is 12 step programs like AA have functioned as decentralized autonomous organizations since the forties. They're not digital, but they've really refined a lot of these practices and kind of codified them where the individual local AA group has a democratic process by which they elect a chairperson who then goes to the area or the regional. And each one of those members has a parameter of what they can speak for the group for, what they can't. And, you know, I find that a fascinating model because it's totally analog, totally existed before even the concept of a DAO was. But when I first started getting into DAOs and they have governance committees and they have all these things, I'm like, oh, this is running the same way that, you know, a 12-step fellowship would run. These guys have kind of pioneered that. They've learned a lot of the lessons. There's a lot, there's a lot in that literature, which I think, you know, a clever DAO operator would be prudent to borrow from. You know, it's free, it's open source. Hello, innovators and explorers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon bestselling author and a tech startup founder with two exits. These days, I work with the Moonstream team. Moonstream.to is the Web3 engine for blockchain-based games. And at Moonstream, we have handled over $2.5 billion in transaction value to this date. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore this land of Web3, which is filled with opportunities so that you can build generational wealth. In this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, I interviewed the founder of Notebook Capital and co-founder of Defiance DAO, Ryan Collison. And in this wide-ranging discussion, we talk about how DAOs have already existed in past. GCR, the Global Coin Research DAO, Defiance DAO, a DAO to invest in D5 startups, how DAOs will relate to limited liability companies or real-world operating systems, what are the advantages of DAO, smart contracts and phantom organizations, and so much more. So let's lean in and listen to this conversation all about DAOs with Ryan Collison. So Ryan, it's great to have you on the show. I've checked out Notebook Capital and just done a, a brief sort of a research on what you've been doing and what your background is, but there's always a lot more to people. So I'd love to know um, what your focus is on, what you're working on these days. Um, so we're working on a couple of things. There's so much going on in the space. I've kind of, I started out broad and I'm kind of narrowing my focus now. So you know, what I've kind of found my interest, you know, I dabbled in the NFTs, yeah. I dabbled in, you know, own forks and every variety of token and different things. And what I found really kind of keeps my interest is DeFi kind of broadly, especially, you know, DeFi applications that have kind of like a TradFi parallel. So now yeah. like, like the Ponzi-nomic things, but things that, you know, can substitute for real financial products to like a real end user. And 
Also, I've been really into the venture DAO space. So I've been participating in two or three of those, having a really great experience and kind of at the intersection between those two things. Oh, that's fantastic. There is so much happening in this space. Yesterday, I interviewed CEO of Valorize.DAO. And they basically are making a platform to create DAOs like a governance token. So you can click like one click sort of create your own governance token and create your own DAO. So they are creating platform to help other DAOs create DAOs and stuff. I mean, there is a lot. There's DAO maker and there's lots, there's lots of things happening in this space. But it is so cool to see when you, you know, join a DAO or DAO Discord and stuff. And then there is so much energy and everyone is contributing. I mean, in a really active, really good sort of a DAO, which has a really active community and everyone, and they work themselves as a DAO and and to see that everyone contributing, taking different roles, some in marketing, some in dev, some in content writing, all, all those other things. So, so yeah, I completely, I can, I can relate with like why you have chosen this sort of a, of a yep. niche. Uh, are you able to share the names of VentureDAO or are, is it still in stealth mode or? Well, so one of the DAOs that I participate a lot in that I really like is GCR, Global Coin Research. They're doing a really yep. great job. I feel like they're really on a path to being like a variant or allow, you know, they take it very seriously. They do it very organized. So I've been participating with them. One of the things I'm working on, so I had originally started working on Zen Launch, which was kind of imagined as an idea launchpad. Yeah. And as I kind of have dived into the space, I'm not convinced that that model is the model for the future. So I've been kind of pivoting it to where the, the, the company will now function as a venture DAO and the Launchpad project, and I don't want to get too into the technicals because we haven't launched it yet. Yeah. We've made some, some tweaks to the smart contract, which opens up its usage. So it doesn't just need to function for an IDO, you can actually use it at any stage of the venture process and investors have a smart contract that guarantees that they get their allotment in a venture deal. So that's a new project that we're looking to roll out. And, and would Zen launch then go and, or if it's going to, or, um, if it's working as a DAO, will it go and invest in startups itself or. The... Yeah, so we're, we're probably going to, uh, we're tentatively kicking around Defiance DAO, uh, because we'll have a little more of a DeFi focus, you know, kind of pun intended. So we will function as a DAO that invests in DeFi yeah, and DeFi startups. We'll have our DAO tool, which we'll use as kind of the engine for our DAO. And then with our treasury, we're going to yield farm our treasury in other DeFi projects. So we're you know, strong participants in the ecosystem. And then once I kind of work the kinks out of the, our DAO, our DAO tool, I want to then go make that avow, available to other DAOs and have synergy where, you know, any DAO can tap Fantastic. into our tool. Yep. Yep. That makes so much sense. Um, talking about DAOs, where do you see the opportunities? Where do you see the future going in, in your worldview? How would they look like in 12 months time or a year's time or something like that? I think it's an evolving space. You know, one thing I I want to like comment about DAOs is that it is a very useful infrastructure. Obviously you have to kind of be discord 
oriented to kind of get the most out of it. One thing I've seen just to be a little critical and nitpick is a lot of people working in the DAO space have these revolutionary DAO governance ideas. But then when you, when you speak to them about real world LLC or real world operating agreement, they've never run one or had one or been a party to one. So then you kind of get into this question of like, well, you're trying to break a system that you don't even know how the original system works yeah. and <laughs> or, or you had, yeah. Yeah. What, what you're pitching me already exists. It's called a, this clause in an operating agreement. Like you didn't reinvent that. That's, that's a thing we've been doing since businesses have existed. So I think there's a lot of hype about that, where people are just kind of discovering, discovering for the first time, corporate governance functions yes. that exist, that are work that are tried and true, and they're calling them Dow governance when that's just. That's just governance in any particular organization. But I do think where the DAO has the advantage is that it opens access. And I think that's really important. You get the wisdom of the crowds. You get yeah. a lot of people having a flow. And I think, you know, that really plays to the space of Web3 and crypto yeah. generally is you get that democratization effect and then you get the network effect and then you get the wisdom of, you know, a diverse set of people looking at the same thing, which you wouldn't get in a corporation where you have a board and shareholders and they're not really taking votes and information from other data points. So I think a DAO solves for a lot of that. One thing I haven't seen just to kind of go on a little bit about it is I haven't seen a compelling way yet. And if, you know, somebody invents this and, and you're working on it, like DM me. I haven't seen a way that truly, truly untethers a DAO from needing to have some real world LLC or whatever the entity is in some jurisdiction just to even hold the domain or, you know, the IP rights of the DAO, or if you're a venture DAO, at the end of the day, some entity needs to sign off on the safety note, you know, before you invest. And I'm really waiting to see, and I, I feel like it's coming. I feel like it's probably two to three to five years out, Yeah, but a really true way to disembody the DAO organization from anything that ties into a real world jurisdiction. Now, even just to have a domain, some guy needs to own the domain and he needs to tie something to it where like yes. in the thought there's, there's still a point where like a governmental body can claim jurisdiction over the DAO. Yeah, it's online and you can kind of disperse it and scatter it to the wind. But I'm really like curious to see how they fully disembody the DAO. Um, and make yeah. a truly like not attached organization. It comes down like kind of even IP rights, you have to, you know, the trademarks, the patents, everything still, you have to go through the, I don't know, there is an offline element to those as well. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of the times the smart contracts, you cannot hold them in a court of law. Uh, I don't know if I'm, if I have the right understanding, but I have heard this criticism before as well that, you know, you can have the DAO, but then when it comes to real world, 
a lot of the smart contracts don't hold in court of law or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, there's that. And I mean, even, even the GitHub for the smart contract, somebody needs to subscribe to that with a real credit card. So it's not like it can be a truly phantom organization. Now that guy may or may not have very yeah. little relationship to the DAO, but yeah. if that DAO does something bad, the police are at least, you know, knocking on that guy's door. So it's not yeah. fully, you know, untethered. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how that could solve for in the future. Yeah. Um, talking about the, the human aspects of it, you know, like having run businesses, LLCs and all, all sorts of things in past and owning just stocks directly, not, not through the likes of Robinhood or things like this is pre pre all these um, startups and stuff, you would get in mail, like when whenever they have an AGM, a company has an AGM, listed, publicly listed company, they will send you that, okay, vote for who the next leadership of the company should be, who the next COO, the next directors, all these, and you they have votings and all those sort of things. So in a way, DAO is, DAOs can create that and and you can vote for i mean theoretically but in in reality there is a lot of things that go in the in the human aspect of it that you know we don't make decisions based on on maths alone we make decisions based on i don't know emotions and and discussion and <laughs> and all those sort of things and how would dao sort of solve if the dao the maths the the contract is hard coded or i don't know I don't know that you ever get out of the human element because, yeah. I mean, if it was running fully without it, it would be a robot and then it would really yes. need the organization. It would literally just be a smart contract. One thing I've seen DAOs do wisely is delegate to committees and that structure seems to work. You know, one thing, it doesn't get talked about a lot. And not a lot of people are necessarily familiar with it. I just happened through life experience to be, you know, intimately familiar with it is 12 step programs like AA yeah. have functioned as decentralized autonomous organizations since the forties. They, they're not digital, but they've really refined a lot of these practices and kind of codified them where the individual local AA group has a democratic process by which they elect a chairperson who then goes to the area or the regional. And each one of those members has a parameter of what they can speak for the group for, what they can't. And, you know, I find that a fascinating model because it's totally analog, totally existed before even the concept of a DAO was. But when I first started getting into DAOs and they have governance committees and they have all these things, I'm like, oh, this is running the same way that, you know, a 12-step fellowship would run. These guys have kind of pioneered that. They've learned a lot of the lessons. There's a lot, there's a lot in that literature, which I think, you know, a clever DAO operator would be prudent to borrow from. You know, it's free, yeah. it's open source. Because getting back to the human nature part of it, like, and you've been an entrepreneur and anybody that's been an entrepreneur kind of gets a a very hard lesson in some of the ugly sides of human nature <laughs> with yes. employees and greed and yeah. compensation. And this one doesn't get along with that one and misaligned yeah. interests. And 
you know, as long as there's humans in the system, you're going to have human problems and yeah. you could decorate around that with different governance techniques. But I think ultimately like, you know, markets and DAOs and crypto, you can codify a lot of things to give it a bureaucracy, but you can never code out the human nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you said it, but look, I. I love the example of a hey, every day I learn something new. Questions about that is like, you know, it's so it runs as an autonomous organization. What sort of stopped from stop people from adapting the program and making it a 14 step process or something else or adding and changing and morph uh, it as it went along? So similar to tech, again, there's, you know, a lot of lessons it is kind of the network effect, you know, it's working. So most of the people continue to work within kind of the established. The same framework. Yes. There, there have been plenty of examples of like, you know, people trying to recalibrate 12 step programs and make new support groups. Yes. Some of them work, some of them don't. One of the things in AA that they have, so you have like the 12 steps, which as a recovering person and you work, you know, for your own recovery, but then the group operates on a thing that they call the 12 traditions. And some of that is specific to AA, you know, but they, they do do a lot of wise things in them. Like, so in one of the traditions, they define our primary purpose is, and now AA's primary purpose is alcoholism and dealing with alcoholism, but any group would be wise, especially a DAO. Yeah. Our primary purpose is to do blank. If it does not fall in our primary purpose, then the group is going to have no opinion on it. And that's another tradition that, you know, is in one of the 12 traditions of AA is the group has no opinions on outside issues and no affiliations with outside organizations. So when you're at AA, you're focused on AA and you're focused on AA's primary purpose. That's directly compatible to a DAO. You know, if we, you know, going back to my example, if we're a DeFi investment DAO, then I don't care what happens in the NFT space because yes. my primary purpose showing up at the DAO is to talk about DeFi investments and our DAO's investments. If you have an NFT project, like it's cool, we support you as individuals, but like the DAO itself has no opinion on your project that doesn't relate to the DAO's activities. And a lot of those things are just good housekeeping for how to like keep a focused organization focused on what it's supposed to be on and not, you know, distracted. You know, again, you run startups, so I'm sure you're familiar with like the whole mission creep concept. Yeah. You know, we, we, we started to do this thing, but now we're just chasing every opportunity. And yes. now we like completely lost track of our identity. I've seen it happen in tons of startups. So kind of, Setting those guidelines as a DAO, I think, you know, yes. for the founders and the early people in the DAO, I think okay. probably one of the most crucial things you can do to give that organization a foundation is yes. define what it is that we're all here for in this Discord server and what it is we're not here for. And be very ruthlessly clear about that. And then that everybody's energy is focused on the mission. Yeah. Um, no, that is so true. D defining that, 
will determine the success of the of the DAO and stuff. Um, last, I mean, except last two years, before that, for seven, eight years, Facebook groups was really, really big. Everyone, like pre-Discord, it was Facebook groups globally, like billions of people every day. Even when after 2014, 15, people stopped sharing on Facebook, like personal stuff, People kept going to the Facebook groups and there's still some really big Facebook groups and stuff out there, but every Facebook group descended into politics. Doesn't matter. It's a camping Facebook group. It's a cooking Facebook group. Every Facebook group ended up descending into politics and, and, you know, fighting and all that ugliness that people stopped using Facebook. And that's the same thing. It's defining the purpose, defining the mission. We are here for camping. You could have whatever political beliefs. You could have whatever, you know, scientific theories. That's fine. That's your yeah. job. Yes. Twitter is, Twitter is that way. You know, I purposely yes. curated my Twitter who I follow yes. to be people that are working in the Web3 space. Yeah. And despite my best efforts. When I log onto my Twitter, you know, it's a hundred opinions on vaccines. And yes. now this week, everybody is an expert the on geo geopolitical exactly. concerns and Putin's biography. And <laughs> like, that's not what I use that Twitter account for. I use that Twitter account because like, I want to engage with web three people. And, yes. you know, I have opinions on vaccines and I have read Putin's biography and I've read a lot of history and I have a lot of insight, but it's like to the best of my ability, I try to refrain from commenting on those things because you don't want to be dragged into that. <laughs> when I log into my Twitter account, my primary purpose is to connect with web three founders and web three projects and yeah. hear about that. And if I start doing the thing, then I'm no different than anybody else. And you know, I don't exactly. want to be one of those guys that I change my profile picture for every issue of the day and, you know, <laughs> rah, 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 whatever my political opinion is. Like, exactly right. As a builder and as an entrepreneur, you know, and Vitalik talks about this in like the Ethereum ESO. Yes. It's like, my goal is to be credibly neutral as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I have my opinions. I want you to have an open space to have your opinions and like, I don't want to litigate those on Twitter. That's not what I feel personally that the public square is for. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, there are, again, in, in Twitter, just sorry, I'm going on a tangent. There are two types of <laughs> uh, people on Twitter. One who, who do talk and engage in all these, every rising political issue is ones who are just drawn and going with the crowd. And the other ones are intentionally doing it to stir the pot, to get engagement. That is yeah. just, that, that has always been the issue with social media, that negative things or things that inflame people are going to get more engagement. And algorithm does not know it's positive or negative engagement. It just sees engagement and just promotes that. So, so that that's, yeah, that's the two type of crowd. But yeah, as you yeah. said, I, I don't want to be dragged into that. I don't care about that engagement. I don't want that sort of engagement. <laughs> yeah, no, it kind of reminds me of a conversation I have a lot with one of my old business partners is yes. like, you know, we both had good exits and we both, you know, very lucrative. And we joked that, you know, after our experience with private equity and venture folks, like we both have a very clear understanding of what it would take to be multi-billionaires. Yes. And we've both personally decided that we don't really care 
to live as ruthlessly as it needs to be to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Similar on Twitter, I understand pretty clearly what it takes to be a Twitter <laughs> influencer. And I'm just not personally willing to do Made that cost. Yeah, no, it's uh, too much of a mental I, cost. <laughs> yeah, I have other things I would like to do with my time. And, yes. You know, my own personal ethics than, you know, stir the pot for engagement. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all going to seem to me like you have to be a certain type of person that's really committed to a certain set of behavior to yeah. really excel in that. And no knock on them for that. It's just my personal lifestyle choices don't really <laughs> align with that too well. Yeah. 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 It is. There is so much to talk on that, but I won't, I don't want to put that <laughs> tension. But yeah, that, that is, that has been the, the sort of the downfall of a lot of social media channels. And that has been the downfall of Facebook groups. Because even after people stopped sharing, people kept going to Facebook groups. And if Facebook didn't care about, they just cared about the engagement. And that's what. And even with Twitter, people do often do Twitter fasts and stuff and do go off Twitter. It is still pretty strong. It has a comeback in because of Web3. All things crypto, blockchain, NFTs, they all live on only on two platforms, Discord and Twitter. It just so happens they chose Twitter, but otherwise Twitter would have even a lot less, lot less engagement traffic and ads. I know nearly every NFT group. I'm in part of a few different NFT discords and, and part of a sort of a group where there are 200 NFT projects. So they, it's only a 200 people group, but they all have multiple NFT projects, multiple times sold out, all those sort of things. They all spend massive, massive sums of money on on Twitter because it's not that easy to advertise on Discord apart from the bots and the spam, which is yeah. pointless, which you have to send millions to get. And so the other places, Twitter, Reddit a little bit, but not so much. It doesn't have the same traffic as Twitter. And so, yeah, they like Twitter is making some serious money from the NFT boom. They they are the ones who are really shelling, selling the sh uh, shovels and the, <laughs> the buckets in the gold rush. <laughs> so, yeah, Twitter and Fiverr and Upwork. But yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah, we, we know about like, uh, you know, you know about I can see from your profile and if you have doubled in the NFT space, <laughs> where, where do you see it going in, in your worldview? Where do you see it going in the next year or so? the whole NFT scene. Before I continue this conversation with Ryan, I have a request for you, my dear audience member. So far, I have made all my content free and I'm able to do this because of your support. I have only one ask and that is that you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for this podcast. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. And now let's get back into hearing what are Ryan's view on where this whole NFT scene is going next. So that's an interesting question. So right now I've been kind of turned off of NFTs lately just because the profile pictures and the derivative thing I think is getting really, really saturated. Um, yes. One, what investment I've made that I, I feel really good about is exchange.org, which is a Solana NFT platform. And they focus on one of one artwork auctions and secondary for creators. I think they're really doing something interesting. And I think that one of 
is going to be timeless when the profile picture trend kind of fades out. And I think the NFT space more broadly has a ton of applications, you know, I thought oh, so many, music, so many music publishing, anything to do with royalties, yes. they're going to have NFT solutions. I think, you know, clubs and travel and different things like that, there's going to be yes. NFT solutions too. One thing that I'm fascinated with that I don't have the answer to is, I don't know if you've listened to Chris Dixon from A16Z. I have listened to him a lot. He talks a lot about skeuomorphic, that concept. Yes. Are you familiar? Yes. So like a lot of the NFT applications and for the listener who doesn't know, like skeuomorphic is, you know, when we're doing a thing that we already do, but we're just doing it on the blockchain. Like a good example is when websites were catalogs and they were just online catalogs before you had Facebook and Instagram and Twitter really evolve what you could do on a website. I think NFTs are still in a very skeuomorphic phase. They are. They're just replicating something else that you would do off chain one for one. I don't have the answer, but I am very excited to see when we evolve from the skeuomorphic applications to whatever is next. I yeah. think that's just going to be earth shattering. And yeah. you know, if, if I had the answer to that, it'd be like having the almanac and back to the future. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> no one knows I that. Have the, I don't have the answer, but like my eyes are peeled on the space yes. you know, for, for that type of use. Yeah. Another way I'd like to just add one thing to skeuomorphic is he used it in, in sense of blockchain, but it's also been used in sense of digital. Apple's design in the early stages of iPhone, like 2008-2009, was uh, skeuomorphic. So the phone book icon would look like a physical book or something like that. Yeah. But then they later on, as people got familiar with using a mobile phone and an apps on phone, they dropped because the the music or the cassette player d does not no longer make sense to have a cassette because people are no longer familiar with what was before. So it's it can take its own new form and stuff. So yeah. exactly as you said, I'm also very, very keen and interested in knowing what that new utilities that will come out of, of, yeah, of NFTs that we don't even know that we could be using and just like I, I'm another thing I'm quite bullish on is that electric cars, because of electric cars, there's so much development money going into battery development and battery development will lead to all these other, is le already leading to all these other modes of transport, like electric scooters and all these other things that weren't possible before. You can't have an internal combustion engine um like a scooter, like, you know, the Uber or Lime or any of those sort of ones. And so we, no one thought that the rise of EVs will give rise to, <laughs> to like small to electric scooters. And we still don't know what other things it will give rise to as batteries get even more efficient and even smaller and even lighter. And, and that's, yeah, say, same thing with, um, as, on, that, on that same kind of just concept with the scooters, I had to spell yeah. it. Cause I was just at Ethereum Denver and they have the Lime scooters everywhere. And I was riding around on the Lime scooter and, you know, it gave me an interesting thought that I remember when Segways were a big deal and yes. it said Segways were going to be everywhere. And that blew up because 
it just wasn't ready for it yet. Yeah. So like they had the groundbreaking technology, but the market wasn't there yet. And then Line comes along with scooters, which I would imagine I'm not like a mechanic, but they're, you know, probably degrees less sophisticated than a Segway. And yet, yet they're ubiquitous because they innovated less, but they got the timing in the market way more nailed down. Yeah. And I think that's a, such a key concept because I don't know. I don't know if you have this when your normie friends get into crypto and the first thing they do is they go for like the most exotic products that we don't even talk about as crypto natives. Like, you know, if you go about the sting, it does like AI supply chain management. I'm like, yeah, but nobody in real life is using AI supply chain management. So why do you need a token for that? And they're like, no, but it's the future. I'm like, no, not really. Yeah. Like, you still, there's the technology, but you still have to obey the market too. And if the market's yes. not ready for it, the technology doesn't really matter. And I think that's such a critical thing, just investing or trading tokens. I'm, like, I'm, I'm seeing that in the, yeah. I'm seeing that in gaming space a lot, a lot at the moment. Just my observation. So, you know, all these, there's been a ton, thousands of NFT projects who have made hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and they all have a roadmap and everyone in their roadmap has a game that they are launching yeah. this metaverse game or this game or that game. I've worked in esports. I know how hard it is to to build a game, let alone on a blockchain type distributed environment <laughs> where it is so much slower, so much more energy intensive. And, and it's not that like tens of thousands of indie developers out there, maybe three make living wage. It, it's crazy. It's, and even for big budget studios like AAA um, studios and stuff, they spend hundreds of millions, if not billions, three or five years on a game development and still it flops. They have pulled like all stops, you know, whether it's Activision or, or Ubisoft or any, like there's so many, but even they cannot get like game right. And it's, it's really, really hard to build something that people go to it and have intrinsic motivation to go and play it every single day for hours on end. And I've played games like that, where I played for seven years, three to four hours a day because I had intrinsic motivation. I'll pay anything to pay, play that game with my friends. Most don't realize the, the complexity of how hard it is. It, it's not about the graphics or anything. It could have the most simplistic graphics, but it is something it clicks in the human psyche that we just get the dopamine hit. And it's so, so hard. Most of them have good intentions. A lot of them have good intentions, a lot of these NFT projects, but they're not going to be able to pull it off. You can pay someone an altcoin or a token like XE does, XE Infinity does. But then after a while, as soon as the economics don't make sense of the time spent to the token value of token received, people leave and jump will jump to the next project because they have no intrinsic motivation to keep engaging with that. So yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so many people jumping onto NFT project with, oh, they've got a game in their pipeline or they've got this sort of a betting thing or this sort of, a, you make these tokens if you play their game in, in future in their roadmap. And that's why I'm buying this project <laughs> or oh, no, <laughs> buy that project just for speculation if you want, but it's not happening. Can I, yeah. Can I go on a tangent about that? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I go ahead. So much in my Twitter timeline, you know, 
hey, I spent $10,000 on this NFT project that I did no research on and it came out yesterday and they rug pulled me and, you know, now we need regulations. And like, I, I see it just constantly. And I'm like, I don't know what neighborhood you grew up in, but you didn't grow up in my neighborhood. Cause like, if you were that gullible in real life, like you would have been robbed and beaten already. Like the same thing applies to the NFT space. And like, I don't condone the bad behavior and as a community, like we need to yeah. get that out. But I feel like the average retail investor needs to like take some more time and like take a pause button instead of like aping and FOMOing in every project, you know, like I wouldn't buy a stock cause some dude I don't know called me on the phone and said, Hey, I have this great opportunity for you. You know, it used to happen with penny stocks in the NFT space. And it just like baffles me all the time. And like, I truly feel bad for the guys who got ripped off, but like, you know, people need to do some due diligence. Like, you know, like, you know, just don't put your money in the machine and expect more yeah. money to come out every time. Like you need to ask some questions before you invest in some things and look at the docs. And it just, it amazes me in this space, how much of a minority of people actually like take their time, you know to look at a roadmap, to ask themselves, hey, is Even realistic? That these guys are going to make a triple A game with this, you know, $100,000 mint, like, just like <laughs> applying like simple common logic in the crypto space. Yes. I feel like we'll put you in the top, you know, 25, 30% of all the crypto market. That if you just don't do stupid things with your money, and mind you, like I learned a lot of it. I've been rock pulled. I've, you know, invested in shit coins that have gone to zero and like, I'm not any better, but at a certain point, like you have to stop doing that and get wiser yeah. or like, you're not going to be around the web free space for long. And yeah. we want folks to stay in the web three space. So it's kind of like, I guess, uh, a dual sided ramp. You know, stop rug pulling, stop ripping off the new people because we're not going to have an ecosystem if you keep robbing everybody. Yeah. But <laughs> stop making yourself so easy to rip off and like ask some questions and don't put your money in the mint until you're like satisfied that it's a sound investment. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the lecture goes both ways. And it does. Yeah. It does. It does go both ways. hundred percent you say that. And, and you know, if you want to, get a really small like 0 0.09 or there are even free mints and you know like a lot of the big projects whether it's board Yard club or crypto punks or anyone they started like the initial mint was 70 80 dollars or something you know it's it wasn't massive just yeah yeah just dip your feet in at a very low level 50 bucks 80 bucks that you can afford to lose because most likely you, know, you will lose that money and you'll get to learn what they did, what, and you'll get to start recognizing. I mean, this is just an advice for someone out there listening that you start recognizing, you know, now what do rug pulls look like and all that. I mean, in fact, I'm at the moment, just yesterday I was recording a episode, just a monologue on, on, on all the scams 
in the scams and rug pulls and all the things that go on in Ponzi schemes and how to recognize that and how to, <laughs> how to save yourself from those sort of, or, or like, yeah. Yeah. One lesson I would tell a, a new retail investor is if BitBoy is talking about it on YouTube or oh, I did. if <laughs> somebody <laughs> with 300,000 followers on Twitter is posting about it, that means you're too late because that it, means you're there's exit liquidity. They're trying yeah. to get you to buy so that they can sell. It's not, you know, that's not your 10x, 100x opportunity that's going to make you rich. And like, you need to stop believing that. Yeah. And if you hold something and BitBoy is talking about it, you probably want to get rid of it because it's probably about to crash. But it's amazing to me how many of these Twitter influencers, if you just scroll back on their timeline and everything that they promoted, you're like, gosh, why would anybody ever listen to you? based on your historicals <laughs> yeah. and, you know, on that same token, like an account that I've been following is Zach XBT. I don't know. If, are you familiar with him? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Shout out to that guy. Cause that guy is doing a public service. He's literally. doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. He literally <laughs> spends his day investigating scammers and posting about it. And if you're new to the space, follow Zach XBT, go yeah. read back on his threads. You'll see all the common themes. You'll see all the little hustle and you'll save yourself so much pain. Yeah. Uh, that could be avoided because those of us that have been around here for, you know, a long time in this space is a year or two, you know, if you've yeah. been around since like 2018, 2017, you're ancient. Like yeah. we've all seen it. It's happened to all of us. Like, yeah. you know, you can avoid some of these stupid mistakes that cost us money by just like, you know, figuring out a little bit about the environment that you're operating in before you go, you know, investor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've been dabbling a little bit in the space for a very long time, but I never um, held um, any substantial amount. If I did, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be super. I downloaded like, like investigated and I was downloading uh, miners and stuff in 2013 for Bitcoin, but then I got wow. virus from, from LimeWire and I got virus <laughs> and stuff. So I gave up. And then I jumped back after a few years and I built a, with a friend of mine, we built like a, Mone, a way to mine Monero, which is another coin from your browser on using GPU. So we used like APIs and stuff and we built it very fast within a week, but then the economics didn't make sense because for parts of it, things of it, we were using AWS and AWS was charging us more than what <laughs> we would, because, <laughs> because people were mining, so they could do it in their office. They could open it and run it and stuff. But as soon as we launched it, it was, it, we we're just entering crypto winter. And then the economics went out of the door for everyone, <laughs> except AWS, <laughs> except yeah. Bezos. So yeah, <laughs> so so yeah, we just pretty much um, immediately closed it down. So I've been dabbling in this space for a while. And, and in 2017, I uh, made a little bit of money, but then I, I took profits or took my money out and then left everything in the exchanges. And all three of the exchanges where I left money in, I thought that's just sort of my moon bag. I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, you take the profits out, leave the, or take your initial revenue or initial investment out and leave the rest and see if it goes to yeah. the moon, it goes. If it doesn't crashes, it doesn't matter. So that's what I did. And, and all three of those exchanges, one New Zealand exchange, Cryptopia, I think. And then the other one was Italian and another one was American or Russian or somewhere. All three 
all three went burst, all three ran away with money, but it didn't matter, you know? So it's, if it's like that, it's, it's okay. It's a, it's a learning experience and I didn't lose any money. So, but I have met people who have lost even 1500 BTC. Yeah, story. My, yeah. my embarrassing story with that is I was doing it in 2018, like right before the crash, I was trading, you know, all kinds of old coins. They all went to zero. Yes. I said, forget about it. I didn't know enough about crypto to really have any convictions on it. So I had to pay a tax bill and I had, what was it? I had like 50 Bitcoin at a thousand dollars. So I sold them off of Binance and sold them to pay this bill just cause it was, I was done with crypto and this was stupid and I wasn't going to come back to it. So then about a year and a half ago, I kind of got started getting back into the space and I was doing it by setting up Ethereum miners. Yeah. And this was when Bitcoin was like taking off. I think it was maybe like 20 or $30,000. And to get my Ethereum out, I had to like go log into my old Binance account yes. to move my Ethereum over to do some trading. And the last transaction was sell 50 BTC at 1000. And like, I did the math oh, wait, how much would that have been worth? And I just got like sick to my stomach. I was like, oh man, I screwed up like big time. Like, let me, let me take this more seriously now because yeah. I just threw away a whole lot of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think anybody that's been in the space has those, you know, yeah. I, war stories. I, I played in 2017 on crypto kitties and breeding them and selling them and trading them and like, just, just for fun, not, not a lot. And then I still had like first generation six crypto kitties left in my MetaMask or somewhere. And, and then I completely forgot about it. <laughs> and I sold like, you know, formatted and sold the computers and bought new computers. And, and it was so long ago, like, and then a few months ago, I thought, hey, I had some, but I can't log in back into that MetaMask. I have no memory of anything. It's like, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I had fun playing crypto kitties and stuff. And so it's, it's all. Yeah, I've always wondered about whether it's people lost their keys or I have like a couple wallets where it has like a, a quarter of a thing in it that like yeah. I never like had to gas to change out and I got rid of it. Like, do you wonder what the total market value of all the, like, the coins in the couch in crypto wallets or old computers are? It's fascinating. I, I feel like- Oh, it's easy 30%. It's 10 years from now, there's going to be an industry of guys that go and like go through landfills to find old hard drives to like pull all the old crypto out of it. And it's going to be like the guys you see at the beach with like the little metal. Yes. yes. Like there's going to be a whole cottage industry of just like, yeah, finding old discarded fractions of Ethereum, you know, that somebody threw away when Ethereum was like $20. And now it's, you know, $10,000 and yeah. people are just, you know, like yeah. treasure hunting. Treasure hunting. Yes. Yes. Like from the pirates map back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, you said it. But it'd be interesting because most of these things have precious metals and they are recycled, which is big money. So it would be very interesting to see what happens. But yeah, there will be. That is, it is already estimated 20 to 30% is all lost forever. Anyone who invested in early 2012, 2013, most of them don't have their <laughs> their BTC now because <laughs> it's yeah. forgotten, gone, all that. So yeah. But all all good. Look, uh, I have just one or two more questions. And is what is your ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking for startups to invest in, people to join your team, anything? Feel free to. Uh, no, so I guess will you post my Twitter at some point? Yes, yeah, I'll put all the links uh, to in the description. I'm always looking for seed and private rounds to invest in, either as me individually and we're, we're going to be rolling out the DeFi DAO. So I yeah. have a whole group to kind of crowdsource a, a lot of that investment. So I'm always looking for founders, you know, always yeah. reach out, you know, I'm not a jerk. Even if the deal's not right for me, I always kind of try to point you in the right direction. So don't, don't yeah. be scared to say hi. Um, if you're starting up an investment DAO, I'm yeah. always interested to check it out, especially if you have some unique way to get deal flow. You know, I'm a participant in a couple. I'm always looking for more. And then, you know, if you're interested in joining a DeFi DAO, you know, we're yeah. going to be kind of getting that launched. You know, we need early stage people, you know, who will we'll pay you in token rewards that will one day be worth something. But we're kind of like looking for, you know, the early members of our community. Absolutely. So, any of those things, you know, I'm yeah. out, I'm in the space, you know, I'm hanging out. Feel free to reach out. Yeah, look, that's fantastic. Look, it it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I feel like I can talk about <laughs> blockchain, crypto and Web3 yep. for another two hours and it won't be enough. Yes, yes. Uh, especially once it's launched. So then we can talk about how your launch is yep. going and, and what sort of people you are looking for that and all that. So what sort of deals and stuff. Well, so, yep. well what we can do, Sam, is we'll have a race. Yes. We can save this podcast episode. Yes. And then either you blow up your podcast really, really big. Or I blow my crypto projects really, really big. And then we'll do this again. And, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Let's and do then, that. Then we'll reference this conversation when we have that conversation. Yes. Yes. Sounds, sounds like a plan. <laughs> Thank you once again for tuning in and listening to this episode. Share this podcast episode with a friend who you think should know and learn more about Web3. As I mentioned before, I work for Moonstream where our technology makes Web3-based games more successful. So if you are building a blockchain-based game or if your game has NFT elements, then reach out to me. My DMs are open on LinkedIn, Twitter and, and my podcast website web3pod.xyz or web3pod.xyz. Thank you once again and have a fantastic day.